0: Welcome to Filmstrup. I'm Jay, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, Mike, from the Amateur Tours Podcast. Mike, welcome to the show. Tell folks a little bit about you and your podcast.
1: Yeah, thanks, Jay. It's going to be really surreal hearing my voice on your show. Uh, I... For all those of you who uh, aren't aware, I had Jay on my show roughly. I think at this, point, it was uh, I think Memorial Day, and I had an absolute blast with you, Jay. And I and I've been listening to Filmstrip, as you know, since I think 2014. So it's been a while, and that's why it's going to be pretty surreal to hear my voice coming <laughs> from your show docket. But um, but yeah, so my show is Amateur All Tours. It's it's a pretty basic premise. Is just myself and my twin brother. We sit down and talk about anything film related. We don't like having any limitations. We just want to sit down and have just a full fledged conversation. So we've talked about, you know, any like uh, modern movies uh, to really old films, like uh, very niche films that no one has ever heard of, or we're very confident no one's heard of, or just even like music videos. We started that segment or just, you know, general roundtable discussion. So we just love film and we hope to share that passion with whoever is listening. We're so small time, but we embrace that, that amateur style and quality. And I just love podcasting and 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 how it's the the relationships and the connections I've been able to make through it. Like for meeting you, Jay, for instance, if it wasn't for the podcast community, I would never be on this show. So but yeah, that's the show and that's what we're about.
0: Well, man, glad to have you on. And, yes, uh, people, check out the Amateur Tours podcast. I was on a couple episodes recently with Mike. We had a good time. But today here on Filmstrip, you pick this one. We're talking about The Sound of Music, starring Julie Andrews, Christopher Plummer, Eleanor Parker, Richard Hayden, Peggy Wood, Charmaine Carr, Daniel Truheide, and Bill Lee, directed by Robert Wise, based on the Rodgers and Hammerstein musical, which was based on Maria Von Trapp's memoir, The Story of the Trapp Family Singers, released in 1965 on a Budget of $8.2 million, grossed over $280 million in its box office run, won the Best Picture and Best Director Academy Awards. Mike, the thing that got me about this, and I, this was way before my time, 1965, but when this movie hit theaters, it was in theaters for nearly five years. <laughs> this thing was a phenomenon. I mean, you know, long before there was any concept of home video or even like television distribution of motion pictures. This thing stayed in movie theaters around the nation for five years.
1: That's incredible. Like, I, I love this film, but I, I think I didn't even know that fact. And, and I did a lot of research in preparing for this, and I knew that this film was – a success and it really did it was a game changer of its time and we'll kind of get into that in a moment because it, it did really give the studios the confidence to you know keep making these musicals of this time because at this it was at this point that musicals weren't that surefire hit and the sound of music came along and just swept it, it i think it garnered mixed reviews but it was adored by the audiences and the masses obviously especially if it played for For five years, it was a moneymaker and it's it's I mean, it's an incredible film, but that that fact blows my mind.
0: Yeah, imagine a really popular film that was kind of so-so for critics and then blew the box office away, and then it won all of the awards. Like, that's unheard of. That would be like Avengers Endgame winning all the Academy Awards next year or something, which we know is not going to happen. So Because it'll be, you know, Grandmother's Rocking Chair 4, you know, or something like that will will win Academy Award. They haven't even made it yet at this point. But that, that's yeah, exactly. another rant for another day. But, you know, okay, so you said you love this one. Why the Sound of Music? What what about this appeals to you? Because peel the curtain back, you're a lot younger than me, so I'm real curious as to you know how you latched onto Sound of Music.
1: Yeah, and and I mean it's a it's a very multifaceted answer, I think. But the reason I pick this is one, just kind of showing my hand a, a little bit before we get into like the final recommendations at the end, is that this film is in my top five favorite films of all time. And another reason is that it's, it's just a film that I feel like people aren't talking about enough right now, but in a sense, when they are talking about it, I guess it's the new thing that it's, it's very negative when I, when I hear hmm. some people. I guess it's the new thing to trash this movie. And maybe this is just an insular thing that, that I'm reading and that I've been seeing, but from what I've read, people are saying that this film is cheesy, it's you know a product of its time. And it's not adult enough. And, you know, I'm not disagreeing with some of the assessments that they've made, but I don't think that's what they said. This is negative things. These are not negative connotations of this film. So that was more of just an added bonus. But the main reason I picked this was because of that. It's well, it it just means a lot to me in that. But it's, it's just a film that I don't think people are talking about. And it is one of those. Like I said, it was such a game changer in the 1960s when this film came out.
0: Oh, I agree with you there. Here's the funny thing. I had never seen this movie before until you wanted to do it on the show here. I, I felt like I knew it. From the the music and the pop culture references and just everything that this influenced and, and we 'll talk about some of it when we get into the the thick of the plot here, but I felt like I had never seen it, and i didn 't ever needed to because I just sort of knew what it was about. I mean, I knew the basic story anyway, and then I felt like i 'd seen Julie Andrews talk about it a number of times i'd heard Christopher Blummer talk about how much he hated being in it, about how much he liked her or didn't like her depending on which day of the week he asked him uh, you know and and i'd, I'd seen all that. Stuff stuff. And so I sort of felt like, ah, Sound of Music was, you know, just something I missed. My wife had seen it before, of course. And so I'm sitting there to watch it for this and she's watching it with me. She's like, I can't believe like you never watched the Sound of Music. I was like, it just wasn't something that was big in our house. Like my parents were really big into music. They weren't big into musicals until I was much older. And then we got into going to like, you know, Cats and Miss Saigon and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but it wasn't until later in life that that Kind of emerged for them, so I I had no reason to ever watch this. I felt like, and so I I'm glad I finally did though, because it was it's one of those that like you know in the AFI top hundred or whatever. It's like I need to start checking off some boxes at some point. And the older I get, the more I'm like, I better really start checking off some of these boxes. And. I mean there's only so many times I can admit to that I've seen Halloween 6 and that I haven't seen The Sound of Music, and so now I'm, I'm at least able to say I've, I've had eyes on both of them at one time.
1: It's, it's just – it's – like it, when you mentioned that, I was like, oh, wow, that's – I was more shocked not – like I mean when people tell me they, don't, they haven't seen things, I'm not the, that type of guy that's like, What? And it's like, oh, like here, well, I'll, I'll give you that opportunity to watch and we can talk about it so we can have this discussion. But like you mentioned, it's like saying I feel like I've seen it just from pop culture and just how prevalent it is. For instance, this thing is always playing on like ABC Family. Yeah. I remember growing up, it was like The Sound of Music. It's it's on Friday night and it's like every Friday it was playing. And and I just remember seeing snippets throughout my childhood and then, you know, I think it was recently – I forget the year. Like, It had to be within the last two years. Carrie Underwood did The Sound of Music live. Oh, yes. That, <laughs> uh, that atrocity. But <laughs> Have, have any of those
0: been any good, by the way? Like those live things? I watched The Grease live and some of the I others. No. And, and yeah, they're all horrible.
1: Like, I, I, no even, G- <laughs> even Jesus Christ Superstar recently I didn't think was – yeah. Good. And I mean, it had good moments. The, the thing about these live performances on a little tangent is that they have like kernels of goodness, but the overall product just isn't good. I just think the medium doesn't work. The shot composition is odd. The, like everything looks weird about it. It just looks so artificial. Mm-hmm. At least with Jesus Christ Superstar, it kind of had the aesthetic, but I thought the live audience kind of took me out of it. Um, I also thought, uh, what's his name, John Legend? I think he played Jesus Christ. I uh, yeah. didn't really like him as Jesus Christ. I didn't think that his style and aesthetic fit that character. But because I got over the fact, like a lot of people, are like, oh, he plays a black Jesus. That I didn't care about that at all. As long as, as long as the actor or the, someone portraying this can get like the the vocals right and the performance right, I don't care who plays it. But but yeah, so but yeah, that's so that's the live performances. But yeah, like you said, from just from pop culture, even in like animated film or uh, animated uh, TV shows, like I think I have Family Guy mentioned here because they've referenced the film many times. Comedians talk about the film. It's just it's all over the place. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I was pretty surprised that you haven't seen this, but I'm glad that you were finally able to get around to it. Yeah, and
0: just to join you back on that live performance thing, like The idea of that is it's all about trying to stunt cast and then – Can we actually pull this off? You know, when you know, like, yes, like what, one, what you're seeing is probably not actually really live. Let's just be conspiratorial for a minute. It's probably been taped and rehearsed, you know, to death. The other thing is it's, we're trying to push some sort of, uh, person to the forward or they, or somebody gets a real passion project and this is kind of the payoff for them to do it or whatever. And, and that's fine. I mean, I, you know, I said, uh, Grease Live was terrible. Julianne Huff was actually pretty decent in that, but it's, it's not, it was worth seeing once and then like, yeah, I don't think I ever need to that again you know it was it, it's it's trying to get people to actually watch television on networks again instead of just binge watching you know the handsmaid's tale or whatever you've got going on hulu or netflix at, that weekend that's the whole purpose of doing those things also for anybody that was offended by john legend being a black jesus i got bad news for you jesus was not a white guy uh, so <laughs> but anyway that's a that's another tangent for another day maybe uh, when we get into like scorsese retrospectives and things like that but uh so uh, we should also talk a little bit about musicals and movies and you brought it up that musicals have been a part of Hollywood forever, but they had kind of fallen out of favor by the 1960s. I mean, it was a different time. We were coming through um, cultural revolution and a lot of things were changing. And it seemed like this was sort of too schmaltzy and maybe too wholesome or fun it just wasn't where hollywood was and people were afraid that like we you know we can't do this and that you know it's it's interesting to note robert wise won best director for this after winning the same award for west side story in 1961 which was just four years before but man a whole lot had changed in four years and i you know hollywood was had was falling out of favor with the musical for a little while and by out of favor i mean like they were just sort of putting them on the back burner and then we're going to put yeah. major stars in them. Then this thing came along, and all of a sudden it hit. And oh wow! Now we're you know we're all full on back into you know musical mode. And I, I mean Hollywood's been on it ever since.
1: Yeah, and I, I have I have like some I guess gathered some notes, and from my very elementary understanding of you know the musical history and and film, and it's it's and as I'm looking at this like really brief outline, it's it's pretty fascinating to seeing the trends. Because, you know, you you got the 1930s and 40s, which I I label that as the classic era of musicals. And this is when they're kind of experimenting because, you know, film is starting to, you know, recently they were able to pair moving pictures and sound. And so these these musicals are starting to experiment with that. They're definitely innocent. And I'm going to quote unquote pure. And I mean, to name a few, you got The Wizard of Oz, The Jazz Singer, The Gay Divorcee with Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers and then this is when the Disney animated pictures are coming in. Although, like, I don't want to focus too much on the on the Disney, at least in this era. But this is, like, some groundbreaking stuff, especially with the animation and, and all that. But then, you know, World War II happens. We transition into the 1950s and 60s, which I consider this the golden era of classic musicals. And this is where I think that we, at least right now as a generation – This is where we arguably most remember musicals. But this is also the time when, like you said, musicals weren't a surefire hit. The film medium was exploding with different film movements, experimentation, you know, uh, cultural revolutions going out globally. And audiences wanted to see more and more realistic subject matters that were covered. So to name a few of the classics, I mean, you mentioned West Side Story, My Fair Lady, Oklahoma, Mary Poppins, anything like Jacques Demis' work with the French New Wave, The Young Girls of Rochefort, or The young Umbrellas of Cherbourg, you know, Singing in the Rain, Funny Girl. I could list all of these, but on the same side, I could probably list hundreds that also failed as well. So it's it's this really weird balancing act of these classic films that we will forever remember, and then these ones that like fall off on the wayside. And we remember more because of the people in them and not so much the story. Uh, then we get into the 1970s with the grittier and less traditional. So, you know, you have films like Jesus Christ, superstar, which I think was the big game changer. I think, I think Jesus Christ, superstar was the, was 71. And, and, and even now watching it, you're like, oh, well, this is so vastly different from what we are seeing. It's, it's, it's very, it's like I said, gritty and just so vibrant. And, and, and it's also embracing of the music of the time. Then you have you know cabaret rocky horror picture show which although at the time it was a failure or it's now it's gained that cult status in the 80s and and it that that's just a weird film in itself but i dig it and then you got you know something like all that jazz like bob like uh, those films are just so iconic because of just how different they are but then uh, we we mentioned it earlier Greece, i believe Greece came out in like the mid seventies as well, and that was a huge success. So you're like all over the gambit with the musical at this time. From the nineteen eighties and two thousands, I think they're here and there. I mean, you have things like Little Shop of Horrors, Labyrinth, Blues Brothers, a chorus line, things like that. But I feel like this era, this this like two decade gap is really where animation stepped up to the plate. This is like The Little Mermaid, An American Tale, Nightmare Before Christmas, Beauty and the Beast, et cetera, et cetera. And it's also interesting that these are mostly kids' movies that are coming out. Arguably, even the ones that I've that I mentioned before, with, I mean, obviously not the Blues Brothers, but, you know, Little Shop of Horrors or Labyrinth. I feel like that those are a lot of children had seen these movies. And then we kind of transitioned into the 21st century where we are now. And this is where I think things got dark and gritty again. And, and maybe more adult is a better word. So you have films like Moulin Rouge, Chicago, uh, Sweeney Todd, Across the Universe, La La Land, most notably, or recently, I should say, Rocket Man. And and I also think there's a distinction that there are kid musicals, so things like Frozen and whatever other musicals keep coming out. But then there's also adult musicals. They're they're able to balance this gritty style with adult themes, at least in my opinion. So I think that's kind of a very... Cliff Notes version of the history of the at least American cinema with the musical.
0: No, I think you've hit on a lot of it and you're exactly right. And even some of those animated ones like Aladdin and stuff like that, there's stuff in there for the adults in addition to being, you know, definitely geared toward kids. And you've also, like you mentioned Little Shop of Horrors and Grease. Like I saw Grease as a kid and Little Shop of Horrors as a kid and picked up on none of the innuendo that is in it. But you, you know, you, I, I, I wouldn't saw Grease when it came back in the theaters and like its 20th anniversary or something like that. And I remember sitting there with my dad date at the time going like did did you realize like how filthy this is because i didn't and she's laughing at me because she's from new york and it seemed like the you know the stage play. she's like you don't know what this is based on do you and this was before like you know imdb was what it was and she was like oh you need to like know the history of this thing and that's when i learned a little bit like oh yeah and musicals have always been a way to sort of talk about stuff that isn't necessarily kid friendly or maybe family friendly, but presented in a format that can do that. And I mean, let's just get down to brass tacks here. This is a somewhat true story, but about people who are fleeing Austria as the Third Reich is taking over land and getting ready for you know Germany's march into World War Two and the, the rise of the Nazis and stuff. And I mean, you can't get more controversial and topical i mean that's this is 20 years removed from the end of world war ii you've got veterans that are still alive very much a part of you know the the cinema going public this one, this one hit a raw nerve I and mean, we'd be like nowadays making a musical about nine eleven or something mm.
1: and it's it's also really fascinating just how when this was made i mean yeah like you said like we're like 20 years removed from world war ii but you know coming off of korea you know vietnam is you know starting to become edge its head in, into you know into American, uh, it's, it's not quite yet unpopular, but now we're talking about World War II and it's, and one of my notes that I have about this, this film is it, it, I feel like the, the it's the third act is when they really just go, like they put all their chips in and like, this is about, like, this is about the Nazis, World War II, because there's like kind of hints here and there, but not really. So like the first two acts, I feel like are so isolated from the third act and, and we'll get there when we get there, but I just it, it j- jarring wasn't the right word i just thought okay this is like the epilogue to what the first heard, i don't know how long this movie is like two and a half three hours is it it's three like the, hours yeah yeah what the first like two hours and 20 minutes this is like an extended epilogue at the end of the film and i've i've seen this in on on stage as well not like broadway or anything just you know c- community theater wherever and I remember seeing the film first and then seeing it on stage and thinking that they were very vastly different. I think the I think the World War Two is a little bit stronger in the stage play, which makes sense. But Whereas the film, I think they had a different they had a different agenda in the beginning. And then towards the end, they started like, oh, yeah, this is set in, you know, World War Two. Like, there's a whole reason why we're doing this. Like, I feel like it's kind of, not tacked on. But I just feel like that's not like the main focus of the story because I feel like if it was, it would have been sprinkled a little bit more heavier and set up throughout the beginning and the middle of the film instead of just at the end. They just go like all all hands in chips like this is about escaping the Nazis
0: well and if you're to believe what what people have written and said about it it's finally maria von trapp started getting her way on the set and pushing more of that story along the way because she wanted it to be a little more raw and of course they were lightening it up all along the way and it, it that annoyed her apparently and so uh i think that the famous line was uh julie andrews once asked her like were you really that bad at the convent and she was like oh i was twice as bad <laughs> you know so like she huh. was she was definitely a rebel in amongst that so but that. No, we can get into more of that as we go with it. But, Mike, I guess it's time to to get into the plot. So I'm going to ask you as the guest, give us the plot summary for Sound of Music, and then we can start talking through the movie.
1: Yeah, of course. Maria is a vibrant young woman with a love of music and singing who is studying to join a convent. However, her nature is such that a supervising nun realizes she may be better suited for other work. When a widowed naval officer, Captain Von Trapp, writes to the convent in need of a governess for seven children – the nuns see this as an opportunity for Maria. At first, the children are resistant to Maria, but her genuine kindness and spirit win them over, including the stern captain and they find love and connection through the beauty of song and the gorgeous surroundings. However, their happiness is short lived as Austria comes under the control of the Third Reich in Germany. The captain refuses the command he is given, and he, Maria, and the children eventually manage to escape on foot through the mountains in Switzerland and into folklore forever.
0: Yeah, I, that's a good way to summarize this. And I think that's the thing to to say right off the bat is I knew this movie was three hours long, but after watching it, I wrote that down in just a few minutes and I was like, yeah, hey, you know, that it's amazing just how simple this is. And for musicals, it, it's usually all about the score. Like you can go watch a musical, like you mentioned Moulin Rouge or something like that. If you go buy the soundtrack to that and just listen to it or read the soundtrack list, you kind of get a plot summary of the movie. You know, it sort of walks you piece to piece. I'm amazed at Sound of Music, like how much of these things repeat themselves over and over. Like you get four or five songs and then they just kind of reprise throughout the entire score. And that's a neat thing because it's not a very complicated story. It just happened to have taken place over a couple of years.
1: Yeah, exactly. And uh, like I said, they don't make movies like this anymore. Like it's always got to be it's all about selling that soundtrack and whether whatever gimmick you can have or. Or whatever, and you don't have these sweeping. I mean, I think Damien Chazelle tried to do it with La La Land, but I mean, La La Land's a conversation in itself. It, it, it both succeeds and fails in, so, in spectacular ways, but I think he tried to come back to this era where he, like, having this big orchestral, you know, repeating motifs of songs throughout the whole and, and, and adding just very slight variations throughout the film. Uh, But yeah, like you said, it's all about the soundtrack now, at least in today's day and age, where you don't really have these these classic scores. I, I just don't think they make them like this anymore, which is, I guess, yeah. another reason why I love this film so much.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a throwback to a different time, and so I'm down for that. Like, I, I like older cinema that was way before, you know, my time, and I encourage people all the time, like, we both listen to Dana Buckler's show, the 20th Century Movie Club, and I love that, and I kind of get into the mode sometimes where I don't think any good movie was made before 1975 sometimes, and and I have to <laughs> remind myself, that, like, no, there are lots of really good ones out there, and you should revisit them often, and uh, so I try to, you know, consume some of this stuff, but I to put myself in a mindset that's very different so this opens up and you get this gorgeous scenery of, of the Austrian hills and the countryside and all these vibrant colors and I mean and I'm, I'm watching this on just a standard DVD that I got from my local library and it still looks amazing on my you know, modern television and I'm going man this the color palette in this is great and you have you know, this whole orchestra beginning and it does very much feel like going to see a musical in that the, the band always kind of warms you up before they start the first number you know so they're hitting motifs of all the different songs you're going to hear and it's really an introduction to things like i think about a movie like gone with the wind which was made you know 30 years before this one really but the opening motifs of that, the music and the scenery and all that stuff, it introduces you to the entire melodrama that's about to follow for you. And, uh, you know, a lot of other directors have used that. Like Sergio Leone did this in his Spaghetti Westerns, too. Like, you know, the, that score would come in and you'd get this, you know, neat looking, almost cartoonish beginnings and, and uh, stuff to get you in the mood for it. And this definitely sets the mood as we transition into Julie Andrews and The Hills Being Alive with that beautiful voice.
1: Yeah, exactly. and and one thing you mentioned, like it, it does it's setting the tone and, and setting the scene. That's kind of the big thing about the 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 artistry of the opening shot that I feel like it's it's very underlooked and underappreciated, but it's super important. That first shot of your film, whatever it may be, and this applies for just film in general, it, it tells you what the film is gonna be about. It really just sets that tone and i think with these these opening shots of the helicopter flying through austria it introduces like this i think that the main character of this film is the beauty of austria and 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 i and i think the film like really doesn't try and hide that there's lots of exterior shots of just the beauty like just wide shots of of these beautiful rolling hills and landscapes and and even just beautiful architecture of these towns like it's 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 amazing and, and, and I think, yeah, then we get into this, this, um, with Julie Andrews, her, her beautiful voice. And, and, oh, another thing I would, I just remembered the, the say when you mentioned how beautiful that this film looks, I watched this on like a standard definition version from again, ABC family, they were playing it. And I guess we recorded it like way back and I was like, oh, sweet. It's really convenient. So I turned it on and I saw standard depth and I was kind of concerned because, I mean, I'm no, like, definition snob. At least I don't think I am. But sometimes standard def just looks like absolute garbage. And so I was kind of concerned. But then I watched this whole film on standard def, and, and it was looks still amazing. So I think that's just a testament to the filmmaking and the cinematography and how the, and the color palettes of this film. But, yeah, getting into Julie Andrews, I love her voice. I love her in this film. and But it also makes me sad in today's day and age because of, what had happened to her voice and I, I I'm sure you're familiar with the tragedy that happened with her throat, her bot surgery in I think the oh, late nineties. Yeah. So for those who aren't aware what had happened was, I think she was having some issues with uh, like hoarseness. I think she was in a musical on state, like doing stage performances and she was going to go in for a routine surgery just to help out with her vocal cords. I think they said that she had, Uh, something like, uh, no, like some, some sort of like, uh, growths on her, on her vocal cords, And so they were going to go in and routinely remove them. And that ended up botching her voice. They just completely messed up her singing, uh, range. I think she, she went down like, Oh, I don't know, sing, I don't know, like the octave ranges, but she lost a lot of that. And it even ruined her. She, she couldn't even speak. So this woman who was classically trained in, you know, made, she's a star for her voice. Now that's suddenly taken away from her. And I I think I watched a Barbara Walters interview where she, you know, she got another surgery that fixed her, her vocal and she could actually speak. And just her talking about just the side, the sound of silence and how just how that just depressed her and 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 it's so sad that now the now the world is we can't hear or I mean we the, it's all on tape we can still hear it but that we can't hear any new julie andrews and she's just such a warm presence and so she but she did sing at least from what i know one other time on film in the princess diaries too <laughs> and and i have not seen that film but I've seen this segment and I've watched it many times because of Julie Andrews and this the presence she gives. And I think they, they specially wrote the song to fit her range. And and then they have Raven Simone come in and do like a pop rendition. And it, it works. It's cute. I like it because I can hear I, I just want to hear Julie Andrews again. She she just reminds me, at least, especially in today's day and age it's just this warm like m- motherly or grandmotherly figure and i think that's why i grow so attached to her in the sound of music is cuz she just emits she's literally emitting this glow yeah. of just she's- blissful Angelicness.
0: <laughs> yeah, they call it the last golden days of of Salzburg, Austria, in the late 1930s. But she is just a golden ray of sunshine the entire film. And like at first, you're like, this is eventually going to break, like because that's the trope. And I, I'm a, I know I'm applying like forward knowledge to this movie that sort of created the trope but I'm going like these kids are going to drive this woman insane and she's like going to break something and scream at them and that's going to win their move nope she just keeps being super nice and like will absolutely will not bend and I'm like man these Catholic nuns are hardcore then you know or something because I mean she's just tough but I'm also watching this and I'm going like man I've just seen the entire layout for Sister Act happen in, in the times when she's at the convent I'm like I now know where that came from I've seen Sister Act and Sister Act too, but I've never seen Sound of Music I've also seen Seen the Princess Diaries flicks, by the way, too. Uh, but I mean, Julie Andrews, I think, like for my generation and really everybody, is always going to be Mary Poppins and this. But like, really, Mary Poppins, you know, and that hadn't even come out yet when when this uh, was being filmed. And uh, I read a real fun side note, that, like she entertained the children singing the Mary Poppins songs to them, and they had they thought she was just making it up. Like she had just come from one one set to the next, and you know she had them fresh in the brain it was like well i 'll keep the kids entertained and i 'm like well I think it 's a major note that the the lead actress also had to like babysit the kids and film um, back in it is a different time nowadays, like be in my trailer leave these you know other people alone or whatever but no she's got she 's got this you know presence, and she comes out and I mean we know everything we need to know about her from that opening scene where she 's sort of spinning and dancing her way through the the hills there and Singing and all that, and then we realize like she's also late, you know, for something else. And the other nuns are going like, it wouldn't be a day that ended. Why if Maria wasn't, you know, late for something?
1: And in transitioning into the nuns, what in this kind, what I really like about from this opening, these opening shots, and it's 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 this is getting into what these cri- uh, critics were saying that I mentioned earlier, and how it's cheesy and it's just you know overly simple. And it's it's not quote unquote adult enough at least at least I guess for this first two and a half hours of the film but I think that's why this film is so strong and and we'll get into this with the songs as well because one thing that I'll be keep that I'm gonna keep saying over and over in this review is I just had a smile on my face like the whole time and I think it's it's the film itself but this is also be, like heavily based in like nostalgia for me but I can still look at it critically. But I, I did, it's just such a fun movie. Like I, I, and I don't know why people don't like that and why that's such a negative thing. But moving into you know the this, this nunnery, or I, I just really like how the nuns are stark contrast to Maria in that the nuns are very traditional very rigid you know they're they're wearing their uh I don't know their, their get-outs they I don't want to say costumes ha- their habits outfits. habits, they habits yeah I was about to say shawls but <laughs> no they but yeah they're, they're they're wearing these they're they're very strict Maria comes running in she's you know she I think we see her what twice in her in her outfit yeah. as a nun but I just re- and I just love this uh like how do you solve a problem like Maria it's just such a, a again I, I love the dis- the pairing of the descriptions of you know she's she's a what is it? she's a demon she's an she's a lamb she's a girl like i just really like these descriptions and it's a really good introduction to the character of maria without people like they're they're directly giving us exposition but it's in a creative way and that we yeah. can kind of deduce who she is paired from this first song and this one. I, I just I just really like this song.
0: And that's the point of, of musicals. I mean, musicals have spots where they're doing narratives and skits and things like that, and then they break into the numbers, but the numbers should really tell the story and should lay it out for you. And I mean, I, I got a kick out of the fact that they sing about what a lovable screw-up she is. You know, it's like, well, she's not really fit to be a nun, but she's just so darn nice, and she does have a beautiful voice, but she's never on time for anything and doesn't seem to really take any of this seriously, except she kind of seems like she's very genuine and Cares, but she's not really built to be in like that. There's this whole struggle, like we don't want to kick the girl out, but we also can't let her keep going forward with this because she's just not built for it. And I'm like, as somebody who's worked for a long time in the field that I'm in and stuff, I've worked with a lot of people. And I mean, I remember distinctly hiring somebody once who was really talented, but was totally not cut out for what we do. And I having to have that conversation with somebody is really uncomfortable, but it, it's also very fresh and freeing when you're honest enough to tell people like, look, you're not built for this, but you are Good at something, so let's find what you're good at and move you along there and I was able to do that with with some other colleagues and that was really rewarding and I kind of Thought back to that as i 'm watching them here work with her, particularly mother Avis, who who really is just you know trying to to shepherd this girl and get her in the right place and it it 's a great happenstance that captain von Trapp is you know needs a governess for his seven children because obviously he travels a lot with his you know military career and now he 's at kind of the end of his career but he 's sort of an advisor and his former wife died and was very wealthy, so he has to take care of a lot of his affairs now and all this stuff, so he needs somebody to watch over the really unruly children and what i get a kick out of is once we finally get to the house and all that stuff is that we find out she's like the 12th one in a row and they, they didn't tell her that on the front end <laughs> you know it's like oh we have this great job for you you're the 12th one in a row with well, it failed to mention like the small print if it was it would be the consent agreement that you click off of on your uh, apple ios update <laughs> nowadays right but and the yeah, other exactly. thing, the other thing is funny here too is like Maria's not really down for this. She's like, I don't know if I can do this or not. I've never been a governess. I'm not a mother. You know, I was training to be a nun, which is like giving up the whole mother thing. Right. Uh, but no, I, now I'm going to do this. And I love how she kind of accepts it and sings herself into the mood for it on the road along the way, you know, and the whole trope with the nun with the guitar and all that stuff comes out now. And I, I don't know. It, it, I agree with you, though, Mike, like watching this again and realizing it it is a product of its time and what it is. And, And yes, it is cheesy and it is schmaltzy, but it's friggin supposed to be like it's not supposed to be this serious melodrama. This is supposed to be light and fun. And you have a light, fun person playing this part. I can buy the genuineness of that when that doesn't work for me in a movie is when it feels like it's fake. You know, like if okay, let's take it, uh, an actor that always does like real serious stuff, like Christian Bale in a rom com, just doesn't work. All right, and I'm sure yeah, they've tr- no. I'm sure they've tried it, but like right, like that would just that the the you know the whole motif of that is wrong, right? <laughs> so yeah. it doesn't work. So you've got the right presence here to make this whole work and this whole setup work, and the idea of this you know simple girl who ha- had chosen the simplest life, you know, goes to this unbelievable castle and mansion and i mean it, it, it's every girl's dream right except the one girl that had kind of given up on all that
1: yeah exactly and and before we get into the von trap house the, the one thing i want to say about the nuns real quick is and you were you were hinting on it is i really like how the mother superior character as well as all the nuns like they're not total jerks or intimidating especially the mother superior figures like she is not intimidating like, this movie is a fantasy. It's supposed to be fun. Like, this isn't doubt. This isn't, like, could you imagine Meryl yeah. Streep's character, like, no. here? No. I mean, well, I mean and, and
0: or it, even something like Agnes of God. Like, no, this it wouldn't work, right?
1: Like, this character needs to be kind and gentle. And that, and that guiding, like, shepherd, like, uh, character. And so, and then going into I Have Confidence, I think there there's two songs that were written for the film. And I Have Confidence is one of them. And I think Something Good is the other one. But I have confidence – I – again, I love the music of this film. And as I and again, as I rewatched this film, I kept finding myself like just smiling and having fun with the movie. And like you said, it's a genuineness that Julie Andrews brings to this role and it's it's just awesome casting. And so moving into the Von Trapp's home, I really like that be, the beginning is that the, the Von Trapp home is very similar to the Abbey and its ri- rigidity and its structure – but here it's more cold and machine like which i think is a really interesting contrast because the abbey is very dark it's very plain but the von trapp home it's it's like you said it's a mansion it's it has exquisite architecture it has these big ballrooms like very empty ballrooms they're dark you know showcasing the this control that this cold captain has but and then you know we get the introduction to him he's he's very very rigid very military kind of that stereotype that we very uh, domineering Mm -hmm. and then the kids come out and, and I think in, in regards to the kids, they like they, I think they take some creative liberties to have some arcs through the film, but it, they're, it's, it, they're, they do their purpose. They're not, they're not awful. I think they really do I, a really good job.
0: I mean, like the kids have all said the thing that upset them the most, and Maria Von Trapp said it too, was the way that their father was portrayed. Because by all accounts, George Von Trapp was a, kind of a dull but very gentle man. Like he was not this hard military, you know, archetype for early Ermie's drill sergeant kind of person that Christopher Plummer plays him as. But they wrote him as such because they wanted this stark contrast. Between um Von Trapp and Maria because she came from a, a world where there's supposed to be a lot of order. Like if you you're gonna be a nun and you're you're part of the, the Catholic Church, there's a very much a strict order to it and everything like that. And she obviously couldn't do that. So she's much more free and flexible. And someone who had been, you know, a captain in the military and had risen through the ranks the way he had. And I mean, for goodness sakes, his his wife was the daughter of the man that invented the modern torpedo. So obviously, like, Von Trapp is a very smart military man. It, it would be easy to just sort of say, yes, he's got to be this very rigid, stern man. And while he might have been uh, very regimented, um, again, by all accounts, he was a real nice guy. But Plummer plays him so well as stern. And I, I don't think it's it's any secret because, he, you know, he and Andrews are still friends to this day. And they, and they talk, joke about this. But he absolutely hated being in this movie. Hated it. Hated it. Hated everything about it, thought it was cheesy, thought it was ridiculous, just did not want to be there and so therefore he basically said i drank and ate myself through austria which is why my size changes throughout the film because they kept having to redo my costume for me the whole time and even though he plays like he is completely annoyed all the time it actually works as a good contrast to her um and it gives that story a little bit more of an arc because what happens was von trapp was and as the story goes you know he's engaged to this other the woman and he ultimately breaks it off so he could be maria in the real one like he was just so encapsulated with maria the he met her that he just blew off the fiance and it was a little bit of a controversy, you know, but I mean, yeah, yeah, but you could see like, and again, I know Julie Andrews is giving a performance here, but if somebody like that came into your life and stuff, yeah, totally sweep you off your feet, you know? And so, um, and that in 1965, can we talk about like how revolutionary that was for a female character to have that kind of agency? And do that to come in and be strong and to sweep somebody off the feet? It's usually the other way around, right? And I'm wearing in a decade where women are starting to have more important roles in film and I mean I think back to 1960 in Psycho you got two women leading that film and I'm not talking about Norma Bates by the way um, (laughs) but the the two sisters in that film that are very strong and independent willed women that we are going to get where they need to get to right and and get the answers they want and that's something neat to see you know people like oh now that that's some sort of big revolutionary cinema thing and and no I mean it goes all the way back and Julie Andrews is at, at no point in this film does she ever back down from anything even she like, acquiesces because she feels like it's the right moral thing to do later in the film. But she is always firm in her convictions that, like, yes, you have to be structured with children, but you can let them have a little bit of fun and have a little play. And you teach them songs and music because, one, it keeps them from being bored. It also teaches them math and all this other stuff. You know, like, she knows this because. That's what uh, being a nun would have taught her, but also just being a musician teaches her that. And I love how she just never backs down from that. And you have this effervescent presence of her mixed with the sort of unruliness of the children and and then to like the stern strictness of of Von Trapp. And what you have in the, the first act and a half here is this whole transformation of this family by this one
1: element that we've reintroduced. Yeah, and I I really do like the and that's another thing I think a really important distinction is that she's not ditzy like when she when when something when when he's stern with her and he says something very sarcastic or sardonic she she recognizes it she just chooses not to let it bother her she just you know gives it right back to him and I think that interaction between Christopher Plummer and uh, Julie Andrews is awesome like the one line when it's like oh turn turn around look at look at dress. Well, we're gonna get you new clothes like oh, I don't have any new clothes like well, what about this? Oh well we give all our, our um all our clothes to the poor. Well, they didn't want this one, yeah, the poor didn't want this one. I really like that interaction these lines and she it, she's just like oh matter of factly and just no like just completely serious, but she can throw that wit in there, and like you said, I also really like how strong of a character she is like and and she like I said, she's not ditzy like after uh, a few like uh my favorite things when they when they have that back and forth and she's frustrated like she shows that and then she rebels in her own way and and i think that's the character of maria is that she gets through confrontation by rebelling in her in her own way it kind of reminds me of my older brother in a sense who went <laughs> to a military college and you know there's so much you know bs with the bureaucracy and stuff and he was just like and he was telling me stories He's like you know I used to weigh out a lot of things just by how what the punishment was. And almost 90% of the time, I would do it anyway, regardless, <laughs> unless the punishment was, like, getting kicked out of school. Uh, yeah. Like, a, like a, another, like, way that I think Maria would, would rebel is that, so his dorm was facing the street, like, facing where like the parade grounds and everything. And he stuck an antenna out his window, like, for a radio, because he had good reception. And I think he put an American flag on it. And that he got away with it. Like, I'm like, how'd you get away with it? Like, no one looked up. And, yeah, yeah, well, you know, that sounds like Dead Poet Society and <laughs> something yeah, like that. exactly. <laughs> well, and I, but,
0: uh, I can relate to that, too. My, my older brother went to a military academy for college, and so he used to talk about that kind of stuff, too. said those exact same words that your older brother said. Like, I used to just decide, was it worth the marching I would have to do on the weekend? And the answer was almost always yes. And so, I mean, I mean that's, you you, yeah,
1: you can't, you can't go crazy like that. Yeah,
0: and I'm, I mean the, the, the thing that's neat about this, though, too, is that as much control as this captain is trying to exert upon – On his family right like his children are are definitely bucking it like they can play the line like they know how to play the game but they they've got their own lives going on too particularly the oldest girl Liesel like she's in love with this Rolf guy which by the way could they have found a blonder guy in the world to play that guy (laughs)
1: well I was gonna ask you before we get like into you know like these next musical numbers I was gonna ask you Jay like how did you respond to these kids like at first and through the movie because in my opinion I feel like Liesel is the only one with somewhat of a character, maybe outside of Brigitte and uh, Kurt. I think those are like the three kids that have, you know, the most going on because they have the most lines well, and they're the ones that, that they
0: kind of make marks like Liesel's the oldest Kurt's in the middle. And then you've got the youngest ones like Brigitte is sort of like her own. Like she's definitely the the I don't want to say black sheep, but she's the different one of the bunch. And then you've got the cute little Gretty. Right. You know, at the end, which is just sort of there to be precocious. Right. But I I think they they all sort of mark a, a certain time, you know, in in life and. I mean, if you give everybody a story, this movie's already three hours long. You know, even in 1965, people were like, "That's a really long time." You know, they have to build in the intermission in for this. So, I get why they only follow a few of them. How I reacted to it, honestly, man, like I just looked at him and I saw every kid trope from every rom com I've ever seen in my life you know and right. i mean that's really how i looked at it i was like you know I, now i know where these all came from and that's fine you know archetypes and caricatures are fine when they're not the lead character and and the thing is though like kurt's real purpose is to be the middle boy and because frederick is kind of old enough now that he's starting to make his own decisions and you know by these standards i mean when he's 16 he's going to be a man basically and in, in this world kurt's kind of getting to be that point where he's not a kid anymore but he's not really a man yet but he's trying to be and so that whole bit when she she teaches him how to dance, and the fact that he wants to learn that because he so much wants to be his father. You can tell uh, that he goes for that. I, I like that, and I like the fact that Liesl had this whole relationship with this boy that she was just convinced that, like, oh, this was it, and like I was sixteen once and head over heels in love and all that kind of stuff. And it's it's funny. I mean, I wrote down a note that like sixteen going on seventeen is the subject of a lot of hairband music from the nineteen eighties yeah. too. You know, it's just a different twist on it, but. I didn't know that that came from this either i that's another thing too, when I say like I knew the pop culture about this musical or the, or this movie and didn't realize how much of it connected to it. I didn't know that song was from the sound of music, and that's the the one of two times when that happened with with this movie I'll talk about the other one in a minute and but I like the fact that that she has that some of the kids have a little bit of arc and story, but the real story here is Maria and the captain falling in love, and we can't lose sight of that that everything else is. Like the drapes, window dressing.
1: Yeah, exactly. And just and talking about Lisel real quick, and it's she is stunning. Like Char- Charmaine Carr, yeah, is stunning. And I think I, it, this was probably like one of my first like crushes that I had on when I was a kid. Like seeing this movie, like I don't I don't know what it is about her. It's just every she just you know I, I don't want to quote. Uh, I don't want to quote the Phantom Menace, but it's like young Anakin, like, are you an angel? Like, I probably (laughs) thought that. And like you mentioned on 16 going on 17. I also really like this song despite this is like, I think, the epitome of cheese and corniness. But that's kind of what the 50s and 60s musicals were. But and like you said, I feel like this really taps into what like being young and in love really feels like. Like you said, I was 15, 16 once. I mean. It was kind of still more le- recently. I mean, I'm 23, so it's less than 10 years ago. And I remember being like head over heel- heels for whatever girl I was like quote unquote dating. But and, and like, like I said, I gotta admit, Liesel's hot. Like she's a total looker. And and like you said with Rolf, the blond blondie, you know, he's the epitome of hit- Hitler youth at this time. And I think this is kind of the beginning, like showing the like the slow encroachment of the presence of Nazi Germany coming into this film. Very I mean, I wanna say it's not subtle, but I mean for just like an average moviegoer that might not be picking up on this, you're like, oh yeah, there you go, he's a blonde kid. But and I also I mean the song is also really good, but I really like the build-up to the kiss. It's pretty much like, okay, he's making the first move, and they're like kind of like playing this game of chess, like who's gonna make the first move that everyone experiences in their life like especially you know us dudes like we, it's all put on us we got to make that first move and I, I just was like okay come on dude just do it just do it You has got it my from a 23 year old self if i were to talk to my 15 year or 15 16 year old self it's like just do it man and, and but i really like that you know they kiss and it's just followed by this total elation and happiness. Like, it, again, this movie's so happy. And I was even like, yeah, go Lisa, oh. go Roth. But well, I mean, it, it is like
0: you expected to see like little bluebirds singing around them in the rain and all of that kind of stuff. But, but. That's not a bad thing, necessarily, because what what that rings false and when people don't like that is because it, it will happen in a movie where that doesn't really fit the narrative and it doesn't fit the motif in the structure. There's nothing about anything that's happened in the first 30 or 40 minutes of this movie that doesn't pay off in that 16 going on 17 song. Like, you totally buy that, like, yes, this is exactly what I would expect. The oldest daughter of the rigid, you know, father is always the like child that is way out there in front in terms of maturity and her feelings and all of that kind of stuff. And he is just he still treats her like she's, you know, a, a, as much as the 10 of the five year old. Right. But he doesn't realize that like, she's a woman. And I think Maria even says that to him later. Like, you need to realize, like, your daughter in a couple of years is going to be somebody's wife. Because that's huh. the culture we live in, and like you, you got to come to grips with that man because that's a big deal because she's already had that. like they they have what is like the most g-rated version of the talk that I've ever seen. <laughs> put to film before when they sing back and forth to each other and like you see her eyes light up and all this. And the way that is all shot and everything is it it is revealing that there's more going on here than we can actually tell you because we're trying to keep a G rating and the <laughs> you know the way censors and stuff work. But this is another woman telling this young woman, like, look, I understand how you feel and this is what you need to be prepared for and, da, 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 and having that whole discussion. I bought it. I mean I bought Good young sappy love because that's and that's launched the careers of a billion songwriters and a lot of music that I like and stuff like that. So I get it. I mean i I was fine with that. the The, the second song that I didn't know came from this comes right after it. It's in the big storm. My favorite things, Mike. I forever have thought that was like a Christmas song or something because I always uh, hear it around that time you know and I was like "That, that's from
1: this like this sort of throwaway scene in this that movie that makes sense yeah. mon- like, people monopolize it as like oh I want this and that like they make it materialistic yeah but it's not really weird it's yeah. not
0: at all about that yeah, yeah if you listen to it it's about none of that which is even more ironic nowadays that Ariana Grande's song that kind of ribs off of that Ugh. it's all about you know, which, yeah which yeah we can that's a whole other podcast for another day oh, my, fr- my friend Brian would, would totally join in on how much she hates her or whatever but her version of it is all about all the stuff right and i'm like well that that's perfect that's that's 2019 in a nutshell take something sweet wholesome that's about like the things that you can't buy and make it about something that you have to buy you know but whatever but i i didn't know this song was from that or whatever and the fact that it just sort of comes and it's gone I'm like, man, that's a major song, and it just sort of, and there it is, and it's over, and the next day, she's making play clothes out of the drapes, and I'm like, wow, I I mean, I was really dumbfounded by the fact that, like, that just sort of happens.
1: And, like, that's, I think that's the testament to this film, is, like, because I feel like musicals now, it's like, oh, where's the big number, where's the big number, and this film just has, you know, hit after hit after hit after hit, that, you know, they weren't intending to be these cultural icons of of like music that are still like even being used however many years later. And and the one thing like and so for me, my favorite things was probably one of my earliest exposures to the sound of music. Because, you know, when I was in fourth and fifth grade, that my elementary school made the fourth and fifth graders do chorus. And you know, I didn't know half this stuff. Like it could have been class. It could have been just randomly pulled from like elementary chorus numbers. But we did my favorite things and And I just remember thinking, okay, like I don't really know what this is. I actually, I think we sang it during during Christmas. Yeah, it's weird how they just monopolize it because we also sang another song for the spring concert, which which I think is the next song. But I remember singing this during Christmas in front of the school and like not knowing where this came from. Again, thinking it was materialistic, but. and I think it's you know one of the most memorable numbers, I think even so I mean it's even still being used. I think you we mentioned Ariana Grande, I think the YouTube band Pompaous has has done versions of this but and this is where I feel that the film reiterates like in that it's just so happy it evokes these feelings tenfold and like any like again how how grumpy do you have to be to watch this film and not smile? <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, I can see, though, like, film critics
0: get a burr up, uh, up themselves and really just get sideways about, again, how cheesy and schmaltzy and all this stuff is. I mean, like, a lot of that gets laid at Steven Spielberg's feet, and rightfully so, because he does put a sheen on his stuff that's, especially like anything post-Raiders, that, that definitely hmm. has a, a a different sensibility to it than maybe anything he did before. But you know what? That's kind of what I expect when I go see a Spielberg movie. Like, people hated on Ready Player One for for that and I, having read the source material and then what he did with it, I'm like, y'all he took something that's like borderline pornographic and turned it into actually something that's wholesome and fun to watch <laughs> like that's a feat in and of itself all right he this... took he took total nerd culture you know and made it kind of cool and fun and and then everybody three years later acts like you know the Avengers in scene is the greatest thing ever when we already saw that in ready Player One, but anyway that's another story for another day Th- there's yeah. nothing there's nothing wrong with like Schmaltz is what I, I'm getting at. If it's, oh. if it's owned and, and is deserved in the narrative structure of the film. And in this film, again, it is all about this. It's all about sunshine and good feelings. Because like you've said, the last, you know, 20, 30 minutes of this film goes in a real dark place. And so yeah, exactly. if we're going to take that, if we're going to take that downhill yeah. run with these people, we're going to have to build it up in some way that makes that feel earned.
1: Yeah and and another thing like this I even I I have another analogy. Have, have you seen the film Ratatouille, the Pixar animated film? Yeah, I've seen that one. There's there's a scene at the end of the film when like the really just like stick so far up the ass critic comes in and and Remy the rat makes Ratatouille and and you know this guy comes in like ready just demolish this film and then he takes one bite of that Ratatouille and then he goes home and writes this you know, amazing, or he eats the whole thing, but he, he writes this amazing review. I feel like this is the scene that would be the Ratatouille to like the grumpy critic. Cause I feel like that something like this is so innocent and just can be based in nostalgia. So, So for me, I, I think it's really relatable and almost serene because, you know, there are growing up, there are those storms that, you know, scare the bejesus out of us and hopefully you know, the listen like anyone listening, they've had that go-to figure that they went to in that when they were that scared, whether it be like a stuffed animal or a parent or a brother or sister, like anyone. For me, that that character was my mom, and I, and it, and she would kind of do what happens in this movie. when well, we wouldn't sing. But it was just like, okay, let's try and, you know, di- diversion. Let's try and think of something happier. Like, it's going to be okay, comforting. And I think that's why I now associate thunderstorms with, like, very calming emotions. They're very soothing. It's like reverse psychology. So I think that's that, – that analogy, I think, is what this scene is. And, you know, getting back into the film, this is when the kids really start to come around to Maria. And I really like how Maria goes to bat for, bat for Liesl at the end of the scene.
0: Oh, absolutely, I mean, yes, yeah, she uh, again, she has had the version of the talk with her, right, and so she's she's trying to get the captain to realize look i I know you just want me to watch over these people and kind of keep them in line like they're your little soldiers, but I've already told you we're not doing that here anymore, and you need to understand like your oldest is about to be gone. And when she's gone, the next boy in line is going to see, like, oh, there's the door waiting for me, too. And then the next one. And if you don't watch out, they're all going to be gone, and they're not going to have any real emotional connection to you anymore because you keep them all at an arm's length. And it's very important that your you have this relationship with your oldest daughter because your younger daughters are going to base their decisions off of the way she gets treated and what happens with her. And let's also lay out too: it's not like Liesel's like some rebellious kid. Either she's in love with a local boy. That's what you're supposed to do in 1930s Austria. (laughs) You know, I mean, like, it's not like she's playing a role she's not supposed to play. She's not, she didn't go join the French Foreign Legion, for goodness sakes. You know, she, she's doing what you, you think she's been brought up to do by all these governesses and her mother and all these other people. And, she's starting to take control for herself. And while she's not ready to completely be an adult on her own, she knows a lot more than maybe he's given her credit for. And I think that's what Maria is trying to get him to realize. So, I mean, even as a postulate, Maria has probably encountered young women who have maybe gone away from home or gotten in trouble or whatever and they're kind of having to take ownership of their own life and their decisions now. So she obviously knows how to give good counsel. She's seen the mother superiors do it and she's trying to model that now out in the world as well. And I I mean, I thought it was I think it's good. I love the way that she goes to bat form and she does it again for the rest of the kids too. I mean, she takes them out and they do do re me which is I mean, I knew what that was from because I grew up in churches that sing acapella music and they would teach us how to sing with Do Re Mi. You know, they, they right. taught, and my father used to walk around humming this all the time, you know, and, and I was like, what, you know, and now, now I know what it's from, of course, but they teach us how to sing like that. And she teaches them and wins them over through song. And they're all singing. And, the captain is like totally embarrassed by his children are just unruly and they're in these play clothes and they've all gotten wet because they fell out of the boat. Which, I mean, if you've ever been on a, you know, canoe, that's just bound to happen, you know, it's, at some point, especially if you all start standing up at the same time. That's a bad idea, <laughs> you know, and say, so, and you know, so anyway, so they've done all that, but she sticks up for the children completely. Like they need to play. They need to go out and like, do you, do you take a look around you, man? Do you know how gorgeous this place is? And none of them have ever even seen half of it. Like they they're gonna go and explore the world one way or the other. Wouldn't you much rather introduce it to them and show them the good, the bad, and the ugly on your own terms versus them finding it out on their own? And that's her yeah. whole
1: that's her whole mode here. And I love that. And she raises uh, her voice to him, like it's like the first time we hear it um, when they're talking about the uniforms and they're going back and forth. And yeah, and she says. Well, he says you will not talk about my children. It's like, well, someone's got to talk to you about it, and that's when he yeah. snaps and call. I think he calls her captain, so it, it it brings him back to that military mindset. But one thing I really do like about Me, I mean, obviously these sweeping landscapes, like they look like sound stages, but they're real. And and I think it's kind of like a, a behind the scenes. I think it's it. I think I read reports that. When they were filming this, like throughout the streets or even on like those high, uh, high streets, people could hear them singing, and they were completely baffled by what was going on. And I mean, Mm -hmm. I guess they knew that the production was filming, but they just heard you know kids singing, singing endlessly. Do re mi all throughout the streets. Uh, And again, it's it's more character built, or it's more building that relationship between everyone. And it's 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 so genuine and real. And 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 it's worth
0: it's worth mentioning too that the real Von Trap children and family were a group of singers. And I mean, even like the third generation now, I think some of them still carry on and sing and they were legitimately talented. And it, Maria von Trapp is the one that sort of discovered that in them and how it all plays out is a little different than in real life, the way that, you know, some of the conveniences of what happens in the film here. But it, it's, it's hard to, it's, it's easy to forget that, Oh, this was actually about real people, you know, and that they, they could do this. And it seems so far fetched now. It seems like something that would only exist on sitcom television, right? Like the, you know, uh, I don't know, the Partridge Family or something like that, right? Or S Club Seven or whatever you're into, yeah, exactly. right? But, but no, I mean, this is, you know, this has been a, a time immemorial. This kind of thing happens, and it's it's easy to forget that these are real people too. And I think you're right. Like the people that were around there said it was a it was a different time because like they were real like leery about we're gonna put up Nazi flags in town. Are y'all okay with that? <laughs> you know, like they they wanted to be really respectful because that. I mean, if you were an Austrian and you got taken over, that would not be a subject you would want to revisit, even if it had been
1: 30 years.
0: You know, yeah, since I it mean, even,
1: even now, Germany won't have uh, Nazi propaganda or swastikas, even if it's for filmmaking, I mean, I could be totally like I could be making that up. But I thought I read that like they will have. No mention of the Third Reich in Germany. yeah, you have to like CGI that
0: in or you have to, you have to put that in and post or you shoot that over somewhere else because you're not doing that here anymore. yeah, that's very yeah. I mean, and I can understand that too and and all of this is happening. I think you brought up a great point when she like raises her voice to him, I actually wrote down, I was like, "When do you think the last time somebody did that to him?" was and i'm not talking about the real person I'm talking about the character in this movie like oh yeah no one would talk to that guy like, like this when he was a yeah, private <laughs> exactly right nobody's talked to this guy like that in 30 years probably not even his former wife you know and so clearly that takes him aback but i also think that that's one of the things that starts to melt the ice for him like it happens really in a, in a little bit in a scene that happens just a few minutes after this but he, I think the fact that she stands up to him and has a legitimate reason. He's not an idiot. He's a man of logic and Uh she lays it out for him logically. And it starts to resonate with him. Like, you know, she's not wrong. I don't like it, but she's not wrong. You know? And, To further complicate it, we've got his current lady friend, Elsa, and their mutual friend, Max, who I just got such a kick out of. And uh, I think that, like, I read somewhere, like, they wanted Fred Astaire for this and they couldn't get him, so they ended up getting the the actor that they had. But I love this guy because he's just sort of a layabout nothing. Like, he's the friend of rich people. Is is his whole yeah. bag in life, and I'm like, you know, what a life, right? <laughs> you know, just sort of yeah, dance through. He's like through a con life. man. Yeah, I he's mean, like, it really oh, I'm
1: tr- is. I'm trying to trying to find like the greatest. Uh, I'm trying to find the greatest uh, musical thing to come out of Austria, and he's like trying to go find core or choir members and things like that. But then, oh, they're getting stolen from me, and and I couldn't steal him back. Like he's just such a con man, and and he's and he full and he acknowledges that and loves it. And I'm like, you know, good for you, man. Like you're living, you're living life. You do you. Yeah,
0: I, I, and yeah, yeah. The, the the thing, the thing too that that also happens here that we like is that Elsa and Max are are they're. In some ways, Max is definitely comic relief. Elsa is supposed to be the other woman or whatever. And they could play her as this, like, real domineering shrew. And they kind of do, because, like, you realize later, like, her plan is we're going to ship the kids off to boarding school while you and I travel the world and do all this other stuff that we're going to do. But it's not because she dislikes him. It's because, like him, she thinks that's the best option for them. You know, that they need – they don't need a governess. They need, like, the rigid structure of schooling and all that, and this that will give it to them. And, by the way, we have the means to do that, so why shouldn't we? you know act upon that privilege and let these children have that advantage it's a great advantage for them so she's not mean-spirited about it and i think it's not the
1: parent trap
0: yeah exactly right it's exactly like the parent trap you have that going on and then you've also got the way maria stands up to him i love the fact that in 1965 we've got a, a two women in a film standing up to the man and they're not the typical shrew doing it like they're not you know biting at him and they're not you know trying to demean him or bat him down they're making an argument and a point And he's listening to it, and there's discourse happening. And I'm like, man, you don't – I mean, one, you don't see that anymore because it just doesn't reflect what we think our culture should be anymore. But I got news for you, man. I've worked around women most of my career, and this is how good dialogue works between people. You both have opinions. You're strong-willed. You make an argument, and you learn how to, to compromise, or you learn how to learn something from somebody else. You know, moving yeah, forward exactly. and, and you move forward. And I, I think it's neat, though, because and, and it needs to be pointed out, because if this movie gets dismissed as too cheesy or schmaltzy, well, it, it is. But if you dig down a little bit underneath it, there's a lot going on here about social and sexual politics that we weren't ready to talk about in 1965. Yeah. But we were going to have that conversation because it was a long
1: time to have it. And we were about to have it with, you know, with the sexual revolution and and, and like, you know, the the next era of filmmaking, but not not quite yet. But and, and this is where, like following the scene, we get that moment where like the heart, like the ice cold heart literally melts. It's it, you know, it's the power of sound or it's the power of music. It's the sound of music. It's what it's it's what helped the Grinch make his heart grow. What, 10 times that day? And it's what and it's what broke. And it's what melted the cold heart uh, of Captain Von Trapp. And it's just the, the power of singing and blissful like angelic voices and i mean i roll i roll with it it's okay because i i definitely like how he how his character shit like i i don't know which one i like more like just the stern general because he plays it so well or like the hundred degree polar opposite like giddy man who suddenly loves life and everything around him
0: Oh, I like that better. Christopher Plummer's always better when he's chewing up scenery, just being a ham, you know, and having fun. And there's so many times when he's done that, you know, and and throughout his career. But he's so much more fun when he does it that way. And you can tell he kind of comes over. And even he, like, he will tell you, like, I thought Edelweiss was one of the dumbest, like, cheesiest things I'd ever heard in my life. And he was also kind of miffed that they dubbed him with Bill Lee's voice. Like he sang, and then they overdubbed him, so it's not even him singing it. But he had learned how to play guitar for all this. And like the fact that he didn't like it, but he still went through with it and he played it as gleeful and as fun because, and again, by Maria von Trapp, who really was pushing the the director in the side going, my husband was kind of into this. Like at first he thought this was funny, but then he really started joining in. You need to show that that's only fair, you know? And, they do. And they they show him becoming part of the group. And I mean, you know, he tries to tell Maria, you got to go back to the convent. I can't deal with you until he sees the children entertaining his, you know, girlfriend at the time or his fiance and how, he, you know, it's just totally won her over. And then he realizes, I mean, it touches something in him. It gets him to sing again. He hadn't sang for years. And he realizes, like, this is all because of her. So I've at least got to keep her around for that. So he's warmed up to that. And and to this idea, and he changes his mind on her, and and man, I got to talk to you about this next scene though, because we get this elaborate puppet thing, and I'm like, I guess that's what you would do in the 1960s if you didn't have the video games and internet
1: that we have now. Yeah, just throw something in there. (laughs) Like it's just a number. It's entertaining, but it it, is. It's it's like just it's just this uh, this thing that has nothing to do with the movie. Like yes, they're rich. It's just something cool. Like, yeah, I have to admit, it's like pretty neat seeing these puppets work. And it's, and it's solely, well, I mean, you get inner cuts with them like controlling it. Like, I think it's really well edited. It's a great, it's a fun song it's just like there though it has nothing it, uh,
0: yeah like, it's a it's you a, a yodeling song you're like oh whatever yeah. it's not about anything it's a yodeling song it's just to prove that julie andrews and these kids could do that and they got like the master puppeteers at the time to do the stuff and i mean i'm watching that and i'm having flashbacks to like watching tracy island and the thunderbirds when i was a kid growing up on reruns and then you know even years later seeing things and and, and uh, your puppet scenes are weird for me man because they almost all the films i've ever seen them I in mean, like it's horrific in some way so like this is going to go bad for Forest, right? It's like a Twilight Zone or Tales from the yeah. Crypt or something, it's, you know, but, puppets, but, but, but like, I mean, I think they're of cute like something though. like
1: a saw, well, like, like, the, like, well, the they could be that, saw.
0: but I'll tell you the thing I was getting to really watching this castle thing. I was like, this is Mr. Rogers and like fairy Tale land growing up. Like I distinctly remember watching that as a kid. And like the way it affected me and it taught me stuff. And I'm like, ooh, I was having all these like flashbacks to that. And I was like, well, that's just what this comes from. I mean, it just carried forward from this moment. And now I watch it and I watch it with 42 year old cynical eyes. And I'm like, this is really creepy and weird, you know, <laughs> but, but I, critically, I'm looking at it going like, this is nothing. It's just padding the length here a little bit, but it's just to prove the point again that not only is this woman winning them over with all of this, she is discovering. And helping them discover their own talents and confidence because all of the children who were kind of quiet and sort of standoffish and, you know, they, you know, they threw a frog down their dress and all this other stuff early on. And not only have they kind of gotten in line more uh, outside of the military rigid life that they were living, but now they're like genuinely discovering their own confidence and talent. You know, when you learn how to do this, I mean, Mike, you're, you're a collegiate athlete, you know, the more you practice and get good at it, that builds your natural confidence and that goes in everything that you do.
1: Oh, Exactly. And, and one of the things I want to mention about the puppets, I think this is also getting into, like I said, Austria and the landscapes and, and like in and like Austria and Switzerland. These are the like the, the main characters, like with with all of the, the landscapes. And I think like it's the culture that they're also celebrating, like with the the proud Austrian that wants to say no to the Third Reich. Uh also like so I went abroad to Sicily when I was a freshman in college for like a week. It was just through because my school was very big on studying abroad and they offered this program to kind of give freshmen an idea or first years, I should say, uh this this experience to be kind of be like, okay, now go like you can do this, now go abroad. I never did just with swimming and, and the bio degree, but when I was in Sicily, we went to a puppet show that was very much like this, and it was like a puppet uh museum. They were. It's like both very creepy, but amazing at the craftsmanship that that these puppets have, and and you know, kind of seeing all these like like I now this was more now these this puppet show was more about uh like uh, what was it? It was like medieval themed, and it was and it was all about telling these epic tales in in like sections because also in the time throughout Europe. They didn't like they didn't have TV. They didn't have it like they they had poems. They had stories and they had puppets like puppets were their soap operas. So it's like every week they would have like like part two or the next episode of the continuation yeah. continuing story. Yeah. And, you know, dude, some of the crafting of these like they have like the diff- Like it's it's insane. Like the worlds of puppets you would you wouldn't even believe like there's the showman puppets that are a little bit more simple but their their mouths move and their eyes move like they control the minute details and then there's combat puppets which are sturdier and they like beat each other. Like we saw a, a puppet show that had uh like combat and like heads were being lopped off, arms were being cut off. Like it was insane. And 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 just like seeing these and then we and then we talked to the uh the puppeteers after. Now they were all Italian so we had a translator and it was just fascinating. So that's where I kind of came back with here. But I think this is celebrating the European or Austrian a tradition of – I mean I don't know if they have a tradition now or if it's just kind of like I'm just talking on my ass. But if it's this tradition of, of puppets and storytelling through puppets. So uh, yeah, I, I mean yeah, it's just a padding and, and it's fun. Like this kind of like – it served its purpose of just – you know. Being something, it actually
0: leads to the next plot point. Though is that Max wants to enter, wants to enter these people in like Austrian Idol or, or whatever, you know. And the captain ain't having none of it. Like he's, like, nah, we don't sing in public. Like we're not going to do that. Like he he has a limit to what he's going to allow for here. But he does agree to like, okay, we can have a party at the villa after I lay down some dulcet singing because everybody can play the guitar apparently here, uh, which is fine. Um, and so they do all that, and we we we're, we're going to lead to this big party, but th- it plants this seed that like. This singing contest matters because it's it's checkoff singing contest you know mm-hmm. even though it wasn't in the first act it's in the second act but we're we're going to pay that off later cuz it's going to be a big plot point uh, at the end of this movie for for dramatic reasons and what I like is that it leads us to what I think is one of the sweetest scenes in the film is you've got Maria and the children and like, they're allowed to sort of watch the party, but they're not allowed to go to it anymore, you know, cause they're supposed to go to bed. They do their little, you know, time to go to bed song or whatever. And which, you know, it's entertained everybody and they're dancing. And Kurt really wants to learn this dance that they're doing. This this traditional Austrian dance. And Maria knows how to do it. And so she starts to teach him how to do it. And the captain, like the little, look on Plummer's face when he steps out there and he sees this is it's not just like oh that looks like fun it's more like now that takes me back to a time I haven't thought about in a long time you know kind of look and he's like you know what I'm cutting in here and they have this uh, he and Julie Andrews have total chemistry and such a spark here and they both try to deny it and so you know like again you know the trope of that is like the longer you deny it the, the closer you're going to be in the end but I love the fact that you know, they they both realize there's something going on here that's more than just we both like to dance together. Like we we work well together, we fit together. You know, there's just and there's something about that man. Like I I've been married for 14 years, I've been with my wife for 16 years, and I can't imagine doing anything like the stuff I do with her with anybody else. It's just there's mm-hmm. just something about it. It's just this comfortable familiarity that comes over you. And I felt that way for a long time, like long before we were married. Like I just knew, like people ask, like, when will you know? I'm like, you'll know because this kind of stuff happens, you know? Yeah, and, exactly. and, and people were like, Oh, that's so, you know, cheesy and Hallmark card. I'm like, well, it maybe it is, but it's also very real because that's how human emotion works, kids. You know, you, yeah. you find attraction and you find things that match and you work them together. And sometimes they're very opposite and they just fit well together. And sometimes they're mirrors of each other. And, and that's what the, you know, these two people are. And it's, it's really cool. And I like it. Um, but of course, this all is, you know, destined to not work because Elsa is not going to give up that easy. And she tries to convince her, like, you know, you probably need to go back to the convent, right? You really want to go back to the convent. It's like she's playing Jedi mind tricks on her. And I, I, I was sort of amused by the fact that Maria's like, I don't really want to go, but I guess I will because you're right. It's probably the right thing. And I'm like, man, talk about taking the high road.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting. Well, it's funny, like with that, "Their good night. We're going to bed song. You know, Family Guy parodies that. And I think I I counted. I think I remember two specific parodies. One comes like towards the end of the film. But this was I know they had like the the Griffin children like parody the song. So, you know, again, it's still this. This film is still in popular culture, whether or not people realize it. But yeah, and that that fluidity with the dance is also really interesting. And, and again, I, I the chemistry between Plummer and Andrews is just great. But it, it, correct me if I'm wrong. I think also she plays the card of like, oh, the captain's in love with you. Yeah. And you should probably leave. And I'm like, oh, that's like an interest, like interest, like bold move, Cotton. And let's see how it plays out. And I guess. I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess in the moment it works. And and she leaves without saying goodbye. And I just and. And again, I never really – I think we were hitting on this earlier. I don't think that this character is evil. Like she's not like the evil stepmother who who wants to marry him for his money. Like she just seems like very real. Well, I she, think she's
0: is- already got her own money. That's the thing we should say. Like, Elsa is a baroness. She's got her own money. She don't need his money, which he basically got from his wife passing away. Right. Like, she don't need that. Like, but she realizes, like, politically and socially, it makes more sense for her and him to be together than for Maria and him to be together. And she knows, like, he, he really is into you. But let's be real, girl. Like, that ain't, that ain't the world we live in, you know, as much as we maybe want it to be. Cause she does that whole woman to woman talk with her and all that stuff. And anytime, like, one female character says that to another one, I know it's not going to pass the Bechdel test, but one's about to tell <laughs> one to leave my man alone. Like that's, that's pretty much what's about to happen. And that's basically what she says is like, I know he's into you and I kind of get it, but let's be honest, girl, this ain't gonna work.
1: And you got, I had him first.
0: yeah. Yeah. I had him first. And moreover, it makes more sense. And you gots to go. And so Maria's like, yeah, you're right. I'm, I got I to go. And so she gets ready to go. And what I, what I get a kick out of is like the children are very much not about this new mother prospect action here. And like they start singing the same songs, but they're all gloomy and funeral dirge now. <laughs> and I, was, I was like, well, no, that's a cute motif to to, to twist the fun song and go, do, re, me. You know, it's just now it's now again, it's a funeral dirge instead of happy rolling hills. Like the only thing they didn't do was have them do it standing out in the rain. Or something.
1: It's like it reminded me of that scene in the in Monty Python's The Meaning of Life when they have this big like every sperm is sacred number, and then he's like, "All right, I'm selling you all for scientific um pursuits. Like get out." And then they start singing "Every sperm is sacred" like in a very similar gloomy style as they all just leave the house. Like this, this is like kind of what that. Like I feel like Monty Python was kind of hinting back at that. Oh sure, in, like the in the eighties. But yeah, no, I I totally I. I I, I I like that uh, that motif and and that kind of switcheroo and they do it again later but then it you know they do and then they do another one eighty with it too but yeah and I think this is when you know Marie is still at the abbey and this is when the children try and visit her and she's in seclusion and this is when like the mother superior character says okay like we have to intervene something like that we can't just let her stay alone. Well, yeah, the, the, they realize, like, we're the
0: ones that set you on this journey. We had no idea this was going to happen, but it did. And it's very obvious that that is your place in this world. And you can come back here and say that you're ready to, you know, the seriousness of this life and all that stuff. But we both know your life is at that house with those children and that family and that man. Like, we we can tell you are purposely... Cutting yourself off from what we know would make you happy and what your purpose is, because you think it's the right thing to do. And the right thing to do is to not betray yourself, because there will come a time when you will regret this and you have the opportunity now to act upon this and you need to take it. Because if you don't, it will not come around again, you know, because once you're in,
1: you're in, you know. And this is all summed up with the, with the amazing, the, the amazing climb every mountain. Like, I feel like this is the, this is one of those songs that like, I, I feel like it's, it should be parodied more, but it's not another, you know, another rendition of this song was done by, um, Barbara Streisand. She, she got a whole bunch of Hollywood, like A-list actors who can sing. And they just did like different renditions of, 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 uh, Broadway hits. And I think Who did she do this one? I think she did this one with Melissa McCarthy. And yeah, like some of the names that are on this list are like, what? Oh, no. But either way, she had done a rendition of this song, maybe even with Jamie Foxx. Either way. And it's 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 not as good as this, but I I just love the the vocals of this. And when I had seen this live, uh, this song, like, you know, this this big, this big, like African-American woman comes out. I'm like, oh, we're in for a treat when we get to this song. And she just belts it. And mm-hmm. oh, my God, like the whole when she like hit that final note, I think everyone gave her a standing ovation. Like she just killed it. But when I saw her, I was like, oh, here we go. I cannot wait until we get to climb every mountain. And it's again, it's just an, and I just love how it's how it's shot. It's very dark, but you can just like these two women are just standing out and how Maria looks very childlike and just looking and again, this character needs to be gentle throughout the whole film, this guiding character, because if this was like, you know, like I said, Meryl Streep's character, and then suddenly this 180 of like, yeah, go follow your dreams. Like it wouldn't have worked. So this, this, these characters needed to be like very gentle and kind and just like very not, not what the stereotypical nun is what you would think, like they need to be gentle. Right. And they
0: are, you know, that's the thing. And so she goes back and she learns of the engagement and she's like okay fine i'll stay until you know you go off to boarding school or they find another governess or whatever i don't want to cause trouble but the captain's like look i got to be honest here like and, and i'm i'm using modern language here but he kind of goes to elsa like you kind of knew this was coming right and elsa's like yeah just you know i tried
1: but it's all right you know which you that's just, a really interesting know. scene too like she says yeah like, I, it, it wouldn't have, like, you're, and she plays it off, like, well, I was going to break up with you anyway. Like, it's okay. Like, I mean, obviously, she's crying, like, she doesn't really mean it. She's kind of giving him that excuse, like, it's okay. I saw it coming. I was holding on to this false hope. But, you know, I love the line. And she's, like, kind of supportive. Like, there's a woman who's not going to go be a nun. And he's like, what? Right. And, she's like, and he's like, go, go, my child, go, go forward, and, and catch up with her. And, and this brings us into uh, something good, which was the second song written for the film, and I definitely think that this is—it has to be that gazebo, man. Like this is another cheesy moment, and I think for different reasons. I think it's the whole like I love you when insert moment that happened in the film that makes it cheesy, and this is a little bit more like okay, eh, whatever. But I, I I really like this song more because Seth MacFarlane from Family Guy. He does a, an amazing rendition of this song. He released an album, I think, in 2012 where he does like big band hits and he does a rendition of the song. And it's there. It's it's amazing. Like, I would recommend everyone go listen to that his rendition of the song. I mean, that album is amazing, but this song it's just it's just so soothing. And, and I mean, say what you will about Seth MacFarlane, but he Nails the song, but this song I think is, is cheesy, but it, you know, it works. They're together now. Oh,
0: that, that guy is the greatest voice talent since Mel Blank that we've ever had in America. Like the fact that he can sing and do all of those voices and stuff like that, but he's got a gorgeous voice. I mean, he really does. Aside from what you may think of him and some of his humor and all that kind of stuff, he is definitely a great singer. So I could see him do this. I looked it up while you were talking to it. Streisand did this with Jamie Foxx and I like immediately had a memory of it come back to me. I was like, Oh yes, I remember that, you know, because that was all over every, was the rage when she was doing all these things. So, but it's a great tune. And the funny thing is though, like apparently in real life, like the baroness he spurned, like it was not nearly like this nice. It was very contentious. She was like, excuse Uh-oh. me,
1: what? I don't blame her. Like, yeah. I
0: mean, <laughs> Yeah, I was like, no, they softened that blow for the movie. <laughs> and uh, her family apparently I, was not very pleased about it. So. I've been in,
1: in the Baroness situation. Mm-hmm. Like, I've been with a girl. And it's like, actually, I want to be with this guy. And I was not like, it's okay, go for it. I was I was pretty pissed. And I, I made that very clear. <laughs> but uh, but I well, I mean, it's, it's got to make it for the movie, I guess. And it, I mean, it works.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, the whole purpose is to get to this absolutely gorgeous wedding. You know, you have this beautiful cathedral and this 14-foot train dress on this woman and all of this stuff. I mean, it is a gorgeous wedding scene and all the, the singing going on. It's beautiful, but it's also when this movie turns and changes once and, well, for and all.
1: That's, it's what's interesting about the wedding scene is like I feel like most movies would end here. Absolutely, like, yes. Because it's this big, extravagant. Like this is the final number. Like this is the finale. It, and and it goes full circle because you know the beginning of the film they they sang you know like how do you solve a problem like Maria and now they're singing it here. It's just it's very poetic. It works. You know, the children are happy. The this this ice this ice father his his heart is melted. He's happy. She's happy. Everyone's happy. Uh, it's like very vibrant and bright. Like it's great. And then this is when I think that whole thing of like this the last like forty minutes of this film is just a giant epilogue to kind well, of like, oh yeah, and they ran away from the Nazis.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. And by the way, here are the Nazis. Like I, honestly, man. Like if this movie ended on the wedding, perfect Disney Disneyfied happy movie. Right. The fact that they not only. Chose to continue the story, and the story did continue naturally, and they you know did escape the Nazis and all that. Then they 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 don't sneak out the back of the theater. They got on a train and took it to Italy, and then to London, and then to America. They didn't hike across the Alps because if they'd done that, they'd have landed right in Hitler's hands. Uh, by the way, but you know for narrative structure for the movie, it's cuter to do that. So. We know that's coming, and the fact that they decide like we need to finish telling that story, like we don't need a line on the screen that says, "And then they fled Austria when the Third Reich moved in, and they came to America, and we all love them now." <laughs>
1: that would have you know, that would have been like out of nowhere, like whoa, yeah, whoa, what? <laughs> well, what? Well, no, happen? actually, actually, it wouldn't have. It
0: would have been it would have been perfect. Like, and this family fled when you know World War II broke out because we all know that's happening, and they lived happily ever after. Like that would have been the convenient ending. The fact that this movie decides to go for the last forty minutes to tell the story of what happens after the honeymoon here and what they're doing is they're paying off the fact that max has decided to enter the children into this contest anyway right but uh, gets the captain's wishes and they they return and the news that the germans are taking over the captain's supposed to go take over the german navy and i love that they give christopher Plummer the scene where he comes back and there's all these nazi flags on his castle and he's like Uh, -uh, son, and like starts tearing them down and like rips one in half and all this, like not doing that. Because apparently the real von Trap was very anti-Nazi. No, I'm not having any part of that. And they've sort of set it up in this movie that this guy's not going along with that. And he makes it very clear at this point that he's not going to. And he decides like contest or not, we're taking the car and pushing it down the road and we're getting out of here you know, before it's over with and the Brown shirts that are there to stop them. Like that is just a harrowing moment. Right. And what you see then is that this man's military background that made him the stern father that we wanted to change so badly now pays off to actually be useful because he's so cunning and he's so smart that he learns how to weasel his way out of the situation. It's like watching James Bond talk himself out of, out of getting killed by Goldfinger or something.
1: Yeah. And I think it's also fitting that he's a, a Navy man, because one of the things, I mean, I could be incorrect on this fact, but from what I understood about the German Navy is like, they kind of went into the, into world war two. Like we're going to do our job. It's all for, you know, it's all for the fatherland. We're not, we're not like buying into what the third Reich is. This is all about Germany. Like they weren't like the Luftwaffe that were just like committing war exactly. crimes in the air. Like they were like, we're doing our job. Even, um, even like all the Navy guys, like, um, like my, so a little, little anecdote, my, my grandfather, he was a merchant Marine in, uh, he was 18, 19 years old and his ship got sunk in the middle of the, or in the Atlantic by a German U-boat. And, you know, and I'll just do the cliff notes version, but the story in itself is amazing. And he was on a transport ship, you know, carrying ammunition to England and they got left behind cause they were having engine problems and, you know, the convoy doesn't stop for anyone. So they were like out in the sea by themselves, and this German U boat sank them. Ship sank in like ten minutes, and two lifeboats got off, and he was in one of them. And then, like after, like maybe fifteen minutes after the boat went down, this U boat comes out of the water, and and uh, and and, I, and, he, and he told me he's eighteen years old. He's, he and he turned and his buddy turned to him and said. Like, John, like, get ready. Like, anything could happen. And then, like, the Germans come out, put their machine guns on them, and then they equal out. And the the captain, the German captain comes out and asks in perfect English, like, oh, is your captain aboard? Like, who's your, like, who's your highest-ranking officer? They gave them water, like, some basic provisions, and um, there were some guys that had, like, severe burns from the ship. And they gave them, uh, like, some ointment for the burns. And they gave them their coordinates. And he's like, you know, I wish I could do more. But, you know, my job and he's like, I'll never forget what he said. He's like, my job or your job is to get places. And my job is to make sure you don't get there. He said, good Mm -hmm. luck. I hope everything turns out well. And then they left. And like that was the German military or the German Navy, I should say, is like they were they were men of action. They were men of respect and they had men of dignity. So it's not such far fetched to think that this guy who's part of the German Navy was just, you know, against the fascist movement.
0: Well, yeah, he he would have been part of the German Navy. And even though being a man of honor, he just wanted nothing to do with any of that. It's also to be said that at this point, George von Trapp's military career, he had was ready to move on. Like he didn't want to go back to war. He had done all of this and just didn't see it as, it wasn't something he wanted to be a part of. His homeland was being taken away from him, and he was ready to move on. Like he, it, it, in he had a great way to move on. He had a new wife. He had a loving family. He also realized, like, hey, maybe we can do something with this whole music thing, and it's time to go. And it was just all just a good convenience of circumstances historically, and and that's a great story to tell. And I've heard many about the German Navy, very similar to that. I think it, I think it's it's easy to just sort of paint that all of the Germans during this time were just these evil nazis and that's really not true you know the, there were a lot of people that were not down for the atrocities that that you know a lot of them committed um but it's it's like saying um that everybody in america is just an idiot that knows nothing about europe right well that's yeah. not necessarily true right there's a lot of us that don't you know and things like that but mm, not all of us are you know knuckle-tracking cretins either but the back <laughs> back to the movie here they're trying to leave. They get stopped. But they, they're like, no, we, we, we're going to the festival. That's going to be our cover. So they're like, fine, we'll give you an escort. And he's like, okay, I'm going to get out of this, right? So they work out this great deal. They do their numbers, right? We get all the musical renditions again. And then they bail. And, of course, we're going to have the announcement of who's you know won the grand prize of whatever at this point. And they, they're like, "And Bueller, Bueller. Like These people are not there. We go on this great foot chase. And what I, what I loved about this is how they hide in the crypt. You know, mm-hmm. like they're just they're they got themselves basically backed into a corner at this point, and they're like that we have to just stay here. if we just stay silent enough we'll be okay. And Ralph is the one that recognizes Liesel, and you know he kind of gives her this look, and for half a second you can tell like he's like oh man I'm about to rat out my would be girlfriend's family, but he's obviously been t- completely indoctrinated into the Hitler Youth. And what I love here is again we get the captain in his great no suave sense of just command of a scene, be able to walk up to this man. Who's got a gun on him and just keep talking him down. And what he's doing is buying his family time, you know, like get out of here while I'm talking him down. And for like half a second, Rolf realizes like I should shoot you, but I'm not going to, I'm going to give you a one second head start, And then I'm gonna blow this whistle. You know, and, and he lets him disarm him, and then he, then he calls you know the, the cops on, and I'm like, well, it, it also goes to show you that even the people that were caught up in the Nazi movement weren't all bad. they were impressionable youth, a lot of them, just like this guy, and even though he did blow the whistle on him, he did give him a head start. And what's, what's funny to me, and i I got to tell you, like it hit me as sort of strange. That there's this comic punch that's that undercuts this because the, the, they get into the caretaker's car and speed away and the Germans get in their car and it won't start because the nuns have sinned and like just, you know, disabled the distributor caps. And I'm like, I don't know that I needed that joke there. Like it sort of undercuts the tension of the moment. I guess maybe that's what it's supposed to do. But it felt it was the one time in this movie I felt like I don't know that that was necessary to have.
1: Well, the whole thing with so going back to Rolf, doesn't he? Doesn't uh, Captain Von Trapp call him a coward? He's like, you're not mad enough. And then Rolf's like, yeah. (laughs) He's like, I won't shoot you, but I'm still gonna call them. But Mm -hmm. but I think like everything you said was right. I just was like, oh wait, didn't he? He called him a coward, which I was like, dude, that was not like he. You were you were free to go. He was about to turn the blind eye, and then you had to and and then you just had to be a macho and call him a coward. But. Uh yeah, and and that and that joke, that was the second joke that I think Family Guy had referenced at some point in their show. Where he's like, yo, for, forgive me, mother, I have sinned, and they take the car parts. Like, oh, it's like, that's okay. It's like forgive me, mother, I have sinned too. And then like the other nun pulls out the head of Rolf. Like, oh my god, what happened? And he's like, Well, they started this, it's on. But I, I, I kinda like the joke. It's just because you gotta remember, like, I feel like the whole movie up to this point, like, up to that marriage, which is, you know, happy, I don't wanna say happy-go-lucky, but it was just, like, really energetic, and then it, like, really takes this turn of, you know, Nazis and fascism and nationalism, and, like, we gotta get out of here. And I'm like, I think we need to undercut that with this, like, forgive me, I've sinned, because I, th- I, th- I just like it's how it's fitting that the nun does it, and they they also know, like, this is right. I I, I think the joke for me works in that it because this movie isn't this like dark and gritty like we got to serve, we got to, it's like, it's not the dire Van Frank. Like we got to like, we, it's, <laughs> it's, it's still that, that comedy aspect is still in there.
0: True. And of course we get the, the great ending where they make their way across the Swiss Alps on foot, which we've already told, you know, isn't how it went down, but fine. That cause it's another great scene and we get to get the music again and it swells and we get the big reprise and then that's, that's the end of the movie and we get our big happy yellow bow on the end of it here. And um, what I find interesting about the last 40 minutes in the movie is that so much about this movie has really been Julie Andrews movie up until the end. Like when she gets married, she kind of walks out of the movie for a little bit. I mean, it becomes Christopher Plummer's movie for the last act, which is, I don't know. It's just different. Like I I noticed a real, not only a tonal shift, but like a shift in character focus. It's like, and now Maria got exactly what we wanted her to have and what she wanted. And now we're done with her.
1: Yeah. And that's what I mean. Like, I feel like the film could have ended at the wedding. And then there's this epilogue where it's like and and then here's what happened because Marie, like Maria's story is tied up like her arc is completed when she gets married. And then and then we just got like, OK, let's let's I feel like it's not rushed. It's the right word, but it's like it's tacked on mm-hmm. like here. Let's just put this on the end because this is this is also an incredible story. But we're also going to like, like you know, jazz it up a little bit for the audience
0: yeah. And well, it, again, it's the natural playing of the story. It tells it to its actual end. And again, Maria Von Trapp, it's in her book, and she insisted that they go through with all of it. So they, they go with it and, and the movie ends. So, well, Mike, we've had a good talk about it here, but it's time for final thoughts, recommendations and popcorn ratings. So what are yours for The Sound of Music?
1: So I feel like I've been a broken record with, like, you know, all the things I've been saying, like, oh, it's a fun movie. I'm smiling. I really like this song. But, you know, it's it's true. Like, I, I just feel like every time a new song came on, especially for that first, like, two and a half hours, I was just smiling because of, you know, the nostalgia I was feeling, just the energy that is being emitted. It's just it's a very vibrant and bright movie. And I can relate to a lot of it and, and it just it means something very special to me. Like I said in the beginning, it was my it's it's my fifth favorite movie. It's in my top five. And and I think it's a film that not many people are talking about. And if they are, they're being very negative about it in this really weird way, but it's kind of missing the point. Like, yes, it is corny, it is cheesy. And it's uh, yeah, it's not quote unquote, most of the movie, I should say, isn't what what people would say is adult, but it's still just a fun movie. And it was a game changer in in, for the musical genre. Like we said in the beginning, it really inspired these Hollywood executives at the time to, you know, give the confidence to keep making these these films. And I mean, I don't want to say that if it wasn't for The Sound of Music, then maybe other films wouldn't have been made. But I mean this film ran for five years people are still referencing it whether we know it or not and I and I think it you know it's solidified as one of uh, one of the greatest films ever made I mean not it's not the greatest film ever made but it's one of those classic quintessential films that that people should be looking at and should be talking about so with my final recommendation I totally recommend it like I think that goes without saying my popcorn rating so I'm gonna go with extra large put some butter on top like it's sit back and relax and just enjoy this movie get your get your extra large soda too because I mean it's gonna be you're in for the long haul with this with a three-hour movie but you know they just don't make movies like this anymore and I feel like films especially modern musicals they're trying to emulate this but they just can't get it. Uh, hopefully someone comes along and can actually, you know, blend the two genre like blend the modern genre with an old with an older genre but for right now I definitely highly recommend extra large popcorn for me.
0: Now the the problem is with the the blending of it and with modern musicals is we're trying to tell fake stories in real times rather than tell a mostly real story in a real time. You know, we've sort of told all the stories. It seems like, or else we, we feel like we have. And so that, it helps when you know, there's some real grounding to it. Um, you know, again, I had never seen this before, but I felt like I knew this movie from pop culture and, and a lot of the pop culture that you've mentioned and that I've mentioned throughout this. And I think that's a testament to just how pervasive and how important this was for cinema. Uh, of all kinds, uh, for comedies, for dramas, for romantic comedies, for, you know, leads uh, and, and women leads in roles and, and the the way that they go about doing the things that they do. And also for just using music and musicals as a way to tell a story. You know, it's one thing to have a musical that feels like you're just watching the play in front of you again. And it's another to see like I'm watching a movie and musical just has to break out into it. Right. And and that's very much the way this movie is. The scenery is gorgeous. The cinematography is great. The direction works. The chemistry of the cast works. There's nothing wrong with this movie. Yes, it is very sweet. So if you go with the extra large soda, you may be getting a little too much sugar. I'm going to have to recommend we go with a little (laughs) water in there on that one. Uh, But yeah, this movie is is fantastic. And if you've never seen it, but you know all of the stuff that it influenced or whatever, you definitely owe it to yourself to see it like I did. Watch it. I do think it is a film that is best enjoyed with a group of people that are interested in seeing something like this. You know, like, I think there's like a sing-along version out there and all this stuff. And I'm like, I could see that being a thing for people to get into, you know. And I, I get the appeal of this movie and, again, its influence all the way across the board. Uh, for me, it's very strong, large popcorn. Absolutely worth seeing. Glad I watched it. Definitely will see it again at some point. Hopefully the next time I see it, I'd love to see it when it comes back into a theater. I think seeing this in a theater experience would be cool. And I really want to see, like, a stage play version of it now, too. I want to see what the difference would be because... I mean, I, there've been opportunities throughout my life to do it. And I just never you know, bought into it. Cause again, I didn't know the movie and didn't really know the story. And now I want to see it played out that way and just learn a little bit more about it. Cause I've had so much fun digging into the history of this and not only the history of the film, but the history of the family and learning about it. It's just fun to think about this. And you know, modern sensibilities may not lead you to think like you can enjoy something like this. And I'm here to tell you, you can, there's, Absolutely nothing wrong with just a fun, sweet movie that takes you away and, and and gives you a good bit of three hours of escape. Just to wrap up again, large popcorn for me, definitely recommend you see it and and definitely worth your time.
1: And one of the things about um that I always want to hit on real quick, like I completely agree with everything you said, is if you could see this in a theater, like seeing movies of this of this generation in theaters is is something like no it's it's just an experience that you can't really describe. For instance, I think uh, around a month ago, I I uh, what is it like Fathom events, like T T uh like Turner yeah. Classic Movies. Yeah, they they always have re released movies. Like for anyone that isn't familiar with that, like look up this Turner Classic Movies and see what they're playing. I was able to see well West Side Story like earlier last fall in the theater, amazing. And most recently, I just saw Ben Hur in the theaters, mm. and that experience was so awesome seeing it on a big screen. And I know, like Jay, I know a few uh, mutual friends of ours and, and podcasters, they they don't really like going to the movie theaters because of, you know, the movie going experience is changing. But I feel like with these Turner Classic movies, it's such a niche audience that A, who know about this, and also that that are going to go see these films to begin with. And they range all over. I think they're going to have Aliens play in October and i and i think they're just that's just from what i remember but it's such like a niche audience that the people that go are there to see the movie like there there's no teenagers on their phones there's no well hopefully there's not like some idiot in the back just like talking throughout the whole movie like you just like they're classic films that people are going to experience them so hopefully they do this as well cuz this is totally up their alley and, you know, they could get Julie Andrews to talk about it or Christopher Plummer. I'm, and I'm sure they've done it before. But if 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 anyone has the opportunity to see this on a big screen, totally recommend. But, yeah, that that's what I just wanted to say about that final uh, that final bit about seeing it on a big screen.
0: Oh, yeah, I agree. I mean, this is definitely something to check out. But even if you don't see it on a big screen and you haven't seen it or if it's been a while, revisit it. It's definitely worth it. Well, Mike, really enjoyed having you here on Filmstrip. Tell folks again about Amateur Artur's podcast and where they can find your show.
1: No, Jay, thanks for having me on again. I, I'm I'm super glad we can do this, and hopefully, I can get a another segment sometime. Uh, sometime later on in down the road that oh, we can talk about things. You're oh, definitely yeah. gonna come back on mine because we because I I love talking with you. It's it's I just love this dynamic and this this um. You're very easy to talk about these films. So yeah, like I said, amateur out tours just this. Very, very small all amateur uh, podcast where two brothers just sit and talk about movies. We do have a Twitter. Uh, it's All Tours Pod. And, yeah, interact with us. We love having the interaction. We also have an, uh, an email at Podcast at gml.com. And I'm working on trying to get maybe an Instagram or a Facebook. But right now we just have the Twitter and the Facebook. And, yeah, and uh, we love the interaction from anyone. So, yeah, that's where you can find us.
0: Well, fantastic, Mike. Again, really enjoyed it. You'll definitely be back on Film Strip again. And I look forward to my next appearance on amateur art tours as well, because it was it was a real blast talking about this with you and just talking movies in general. Folks, thanks again for your support and showing this on the show. You can find more episodes on on our website, filmstrippodcast.com, you'll find our entire back catalog. And wherever you can find podcasts, you'll see the list of the platforms there on the website. You can download us, subscribe to Filmstrip Podcast. Leave us a positive review. It helps people find the show. You can find us on the Facebook. Just search for Filmstrip Podcast. And we're also on Twitter at Filmstrip Pod. If you want to follow the show, we appreciate your support. Until next time, for Mike and Amateur archers, I'm Jay. You've been
1: listening to Filmstrip.